Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. As, as has been said, I'm, I'm Justin McClure. I'm, I'm the student pastor at East Campus. I work a lot with Will. Some of you know me. Some of you may not be as familiar with me, but it's my privilege to be here this morning and share the word with you this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, so if you want to go ahead and start working that way, if you've got a tablet or a phone that you're going to be looking at this morning for your scripture, it should take, shouldn't take you very long, but um, I want to give you a few minutes to, to find the scripture this morning. Um, we're going to be talking this morning about Hope Threatened. We've been uh, going through a series, Brother Ben has been teaching you guys through a series uh, called The Thrill of Hope. This morning, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what happens when your hope is threatened. And I would venture to say what, uh, more so in my life, I think it's kind of interesting that I'm the one that, that gets to share with you this morning because I feel like in my life I've been in a place uh, where I feel like hope was gone. And uh, so I feel like this morning that I'm not speaking to you just from, uh, the, just from uh, the letter this morning, but I'm also speaking to you from experience uh, because I've been through a period of time in my life where I feel like hope was gone. And uh, so I want to minister to you this morning through the Word, and so I'm hoping that you'll uh, go with me uh, into the Word this morning in Matthew chapter 2. It's a very important uh, story. But today's takeaway, the point, the thing that I want you to uh, get from this uh, story this morning, uh, and if you look in your little uh, your, uh, worship guide that they gave you this morning, there's some notes that you can take if you'd like to follow along. There's a lot of blanks, and so I'm going to try to be good to give you all the blanks for all you OCD folks out there this morning, okay? I don't want to leave you uh, in a turmoil, all right, um, this morning, so I know how that is sometimes, but... Today's takeaway is a life of faith must also be a life of obedience. A life of faith must also be a life of obedience. Um, James tells us in chapter 2, verse 17, he says that faith without works is what? It's dead. It's dead. It's lifeless. It's meaningless. We all know what death is, right? It means when there's no hope. When there's no hope left, it's over. That's what faith without obedience is. And um, it's a good reminder to us this morning uh, that faith is unlocked by obedience. Faith is unlocked by obedience. I'm going to give you an example. There was a guy, and it wasn't in this church, okay? So I'm going to let set your mind at ease, all right? It's not in this church. It was a previous ministry that I was in. But this guy, me and this guy just did not get together, okay, on anything. He was not, he wasn't, and I'll give you the whole backstory on this to tell why he had such a hair, hair lip about me, but he wasn't selected to be on the youth pastor search committee, and it was a big drama, and so when they hired me, I was like the antichrist, right, because he didn't get to pick me. So this guy, I mean, when he walked down the aisle on Sunday morning, was not thanking the Lord that I was there, okay? So every time he looked at me, I mean, every time he spoke to me, it was a it was a snide comment. Just, I mean, it was, it was just kind of one of those thorn moments, you know, where Satan just kind of buffets you every Sunday. And, and uh, I just felt like that. And I thought, 
God, what do you, how do you, how can I forgive this guy for all the evil and the meanness and all the things that are going on? And one of the things the Lord impressed upon my heart from the scriptures was that I need to forgive this guy. And, and I know I, I'm, I'm speaking to a lot of you guys that have dealt with the same thing. And that is, how do you forgive somebody that you just generally don't like? Like, how do you love them? How do you forgive them? And one of the things that the Lord taught me through this was, it's not something that I'm going to get in my closet and just go, God, make me love him. God, make me love him. God, make me love him. It's not that. The faith, the forgiveness is unlocked by obedience. And so what the Lord taught me was that I just needed to treat this guy like I loved him. And the heart would follow. And that's exactly what happened. And I just started walking in there that morning for Sunday morning and saying, God, I don't care what happens today, but I'm going to treat this guy like he's my best friend. And I would go up to him and just, I'm so glad to see you this morning. I hope you guys have a great Sunday. And I, I genuinely meant it. I, I was genuine in, in my efforts to mean it. But in my heart, I was like, man, whew, uh, this guy's rough. So when I did that, when I actually made that effort to go to him and love him like Christ wanted me to love him, God healed my heart. It was like that obedience unlocked the key to the power of God in my life. And, and as we talk about hope being threatened, we have to understand that that component, the obedience factor, is the key that unlocks the door of peace in your life. It's the key. And so we can't miss that this morning. You know, we all quote the scripture that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him to the, from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made into what? Salvation, right? Salvation is unlocked by confession, the action of confession. That's why it's so important. That's why Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of me before my Father. Why? Because obedience unlocks faith. We have to be willing to put ourselves out there and stand up for Jesus. Not just say we believe, but actually live it. And so this morning, as we go through this together, I want you to think about that key of obedience this morning. Look at the scripture with me in verse 13. It says, uh, the first point this morning is, when God's word comes, it kindles hope. When God's word comes, it kindles hope. Now I want you to notice there, I didn't say it completes it, but it kindles it. It begins the process of hope. Because what unlocks faith, what unlocks peace? Obedience, right? So just just because the word comes doesn't mean it completes the process. There is a part that we play in this whole story, right? So uh, the word of God comes, it it unlocks hope, or kindles hope. Look at what the scripture says. It says, After they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be there until I bring word to you. For Herod will seek to destroy the child. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and slew all the children, killed them, that were in Bethlehem and in the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. 
Then it was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation, a weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and could not be comforted because they were gone. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to a dream and through a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child to his mother and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And they settled in Nazareth. I want you to see this morning a couple pieces. And the first thing is that the word of the Lord kindles hope. It brings hope. Why does it bring hope? Why is it that the word of the Lord brings hope to us? I don't know about you, but for me, the reason that the word of the Lord brings hope to us is that it's a demonstration of the fact that God deeply loves us and cares about what happens to us. And in this story, we know that this is his son that we're talking about, right? He's supposed to care about his son, but the purpose of his son being on the planet was not for his son's sake. It was for our sake. And so therefore, because he cared for his son... It also infers that he cared for us, that he loved us, and he didn't, want, he didn't want the mission to be compromised by Herod. And so he called the family to Egypt, Joseph and his wife. He called them to Egypt to escape so that we could be saved. Not so that Jesus could be saved, because he knew ultimately Jesus was going to give his life. But that so that we could be saved. The word of the Lord comes... And it brings us hope. It kindles hope in our life. You know, one of the reasons why we commit Scripture to memory is because when the storms of life come, sometimes we don't have time to break out our our Bible and do a Bible study. We commit the Scripture to memory because sometimes when the storms of life come, we need to be able to pull it up in our minds and remind ourselves what God has said about us, what God has said about our enemy, what God has said about this world. And when we bring up those things, those, those scriptures, it brings hope to us because we remember that God cares for us and God cares for the world and God cares for what happens. And no matter what happens in our lives, we can bring the word of God to bear in any situation and it begins the process of hope being kindled. And that's a blessing to us, is it not? That is a blessing to be able to remind yourself that God's word is true and that God cares. I remember uh, way back when, this has been a long time, gets longer every year, but uh, VBS, 1988, somewhere around in there, okay, a little short version of me, okay? was in VBS, and I was selected to carry the Bible down the little procession. You know how they used to do that, where they, they would line everybody up outside, and you couldn't come in, and they'd open the doors, and then everybody would march down, they'd carry the flags, and then we'd sing all the you know, different little songs to the flag and the Christian flag, and then we'd sing to the, to the Bible. And I, I don't know what it is about that little song that we sang to the Bible, but I remember it to this day, and the scripture that we shared was out of Psalms 119, verse 109, and it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I, ne- I never forget that. And it's interesting to me, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, by a good stretch. And what is the whole purpose of Psalms 119? It's to talk about how good the word of God is. That's what the purpose of that chapter is. 
just to remind ourselves that this is a good thing that God gives us his word, that he sends to us a reminder of who he is. That God's word is powerful. But not only is it sometimes a light, just like that word, that, that scripture says it's a light into my path, but sometimes it's an anchor when we're shaking. I thought about, you know, when we're walking up a sta- uh, the stairs, you know, and we kind of trip or something, what do we do? We grab hold of the arm rail or we grab hold of the unfortunate person standing next to us, right? Well, my wife and I uh, were, were at Biltmore this past weekend and we visited to see all the Christmas lights and stuff. And man, that place has got enough stairs in it. Um, I, you know, and everywhere you look, there was there were stairs everywhere, and so you know, there's people that are that are um, there's young people, there's older people, there's every stre- you know stretch of uh, life in that in that place, and you know sometimes it, it, you have to hold it, you have to pay a little bit more attention to the arm rail, right, based on where you are in life, and that's true with the word of God. Is sometimes that's an arm rail that sometimes in life you're like, you know what, I'm walking up the stairs, got my hands in my pockets, you know, I don't, I'm good. And every once in a while, you go through a stretch of life where you're just kind of every step, right? You're just pulling yourselves up. And the Word of God sometimes can be that, that anchor for us that we hold on to. And that we go through seasons of life where it comes and goes. But it kindles hope in us. Um, it's always constant, and it's steady, and we can depend on it. The second thing that I want you to think about this morning is that simple obedience is part of a bigger story that God is writing. Simple obedience. Look at what the scripture says that Joseph did when he heard the word of the Lord. It says, so he got up. He got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that, it, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. So you see not only the word coming and it kindling hope, but the obedience was there as well. It says he got up and he took his wife and son. He, he believed the word. He obeyed the word. He responded in such a way that was urgent. And sometimes I think maybe we are a little bit, um, little bit too relaxed sometimes when it comes to the urgency of the scriptures. That, well, it's, yeah, I know it says that I'm supposed to be doing this, but, you know, I, I, I'll do it next week or I'll do it the week after that. You know, the scriptures are here because there's a mission that we're, that we're here for. You know, before you came to Christ, you were the mission. After you came to Christ, you're part of the team that's making the mission come. What did Jesus say? He, taught, he said, the, the disciples said, teach us to pray. He said that my kingdom would come, and that's part of our mission. That we are bringing God's kingdom to pass on the earth. We are, we are to live godly and talk godly and to share the mission of Christ so that the kingdom of God could come and be delivered to people who don't understand. And so simple obedience is part of the bigger story. In Joseph's life, his obedience was crucial to the survival of his family, to the health of his family, to the care of his family. And it was vital, it was important, it was imperative that he obey. But if you think this morning that somehow the survival and the care of your family is somehow less urgent, then I'm I'm afraid you might be deceived this morning. Because the, the imperative is there. The enemy, the word of God tells us, 
is seeking to destroy us. It's seeking to devour us. It's seeking to devour our kids. It's seeking to devour our wives. It's seeking to devour us. And it says he's subtle. He's subtle. He's very crafty about how he does this. And so the urgency for us is just as, as, as present as it was for Joseph and his family. Obedience is necessary. And it's not necessary next week. It's not necessary tomorrow. It's necessary now. It's necessary today. Years ago, I went through a stretch of time, and I, I shared with you early on that I've been pretty hopeless at different times in my life. And uh, this story a couple years ago was, um, I was a, a minister, I'd been in the ministry for about six years, I guess, at this time, and I, was, uh, I went through a period of time where I was around a lot of people who were speaking a lot of things that weren't biblical in my life. Uh, and I won't go into that, but I'll just say that it stole, it stole my hope fr from me, my assurance from me. It stole a lot of things from me. And I began to question everything about my life, things that I had already set down. I, I was saved when I was 20 years old. Um, I had made, uh, you know, uh, a decision when I was very young. But when I was 20, I felt the Lord's conviction. And I responded to the Lord's conviction in faith and in obedience and was saved. But years later after that, I, was, I began to doubt myself, I began to doubt my call, I began to doubt what I was doing in my life, and I got to the point to where I just resigned where I was working, and I just said, you know what, if I can't figure this out, I don't have any business being here trying to tell other people how to figure this out, and so I just removed myself from that, and I just was, I remember sitting in, in just purposeless, like, limbo, and just looking up at heaven and going, what, in the, what is going on? God, I don't know where you are. I can't hear you. I don't know what's going on. And I, I'll tell you, for, for me, that was the most helpless time of my life where I felt like I was alone, that God was not speaking to me, and that in my distress, that he didn't care. He was just letting me go through it. And it was a very difficult stretch of life to go through. You may be going through something today where you feel like God's not speaking, God's not answering, God's not doing anything. You know, he sees me struggling, he sees me in pain, he sees my, me weep at night when no, one's, no one else is watching, and he does, he does, he's just absent. He's an absent father right now. And you may be going through something like I went through in my life just spiritually, but you may be going through it today. And I want to, know, I want to tell you that it wasn't just a, and it went away. It was a, it was a period of, of weeks that felt like years, maybe even months. I can't remember. I, I, I don't remember the, the, the amount of time be, from when I, my problem began to when I experienced a resolution, but I remember when I experienced a resolution, what happened. And I was standing on a, a pastor friend's yard in Texas. Um, Wendy and I had made the decision. We said, look, we know that we're not right with God right now, and I'm going through this thing. I don't need to be anywhere but where God is. And so we looked online and said, where, where, how do you know when the Spirit of God is moving? I don't know. We just Googled like decisions. We started looking at uh, like, re like this, all the churches in America that had all these decisions, the people getting saved, and we thought, well, that's where, that's where we want to be, is where the Holy Spirit is moving and active, and, and so we started going to these different places. We went to Atlanta, we went to Dallas, 
We had plans to go to Bowling Green because we heard about Hillview and all the decisions they had there. We'd, we had planned to go to all these different places, and we went. We weren't wealthy people, but we, we sacrificed, and we went to these different places because we were genuinely trying to find what God's word was for us in that moment. And I remember in Dallas, as I'm standing on the yard of this, this evangelist that was a mentor to me, um, that I'm in this period of doubt, and I can just hear the voice of the enemy speaking in the back of my mind. And um, just, you're, you're lost, you're going to go, go to hell, you're, you're, you're not worthy, all these things in my mind. And, and I remember standing on this yard, I can still see the picture to this day, and I remember speaking to whatever it is that was throwing all these heads, these things in my mind, and I remember saying, because I had gone through this, all this for months, I remember saying these words, I said, God, I don't care if I live my whole life for you and go to hell, but I'm going to serve you anyway. I said, I don't care. I said, I'm going to do it anyway. And when I spoke those words, the doubt went away like that. And I think, I, I don't know, but I think I had one of those moments like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where I said, if he saves us, fine, and if he doesn't, fine, but we're going to serve him anyway and it doesn't matter. And that's kind of the heart that I had in that moment. And it was, it was as if that unlocked whatever needed to come out of my life in order for me to be able to serve Christ in peace. And I was free. That obedience, that saying, look, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what, how I feel. I'm going to do it. That faith and that obedience unlocked the peace of God in my life. And you know what? I've never been in that place again, thank God, of hopelessness where I felt that God wasn't listening to me. It's an anchor when we're shaken. We're not always the center of the story. In fact, the vast majority of the time, we're just playing a part in God's story. So he got up and he took the child and he went to Egypt in obedience. You know, God challenges us to do something and to do something now. And our job is to be obedient so we can unlock the peace of God that comes in the storm. Number three this morning, no matter how desperate the situation, God preserves hope. No matter how desperate the situation, God preserves hope. It says in verse 16, it says that Herod, when he had seen that he had been outwitted by the wise men, it says he flew into a rage he gave orders to massacre all the children, the male children, in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. You know, there was a study done by, there's been studies done for forever, but this particular study was done by Dr. Isaiah Gaffney, the leading authority on the Second Temple at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And his topic was the life of Herod the Great. And he took Herod and he kind of put him on the couch. 
And he basically psychoanalyzed Herod from the historical records and things that they had uh, recording Herod's behavior. And basically what he came up with was that Herod was a, had a paranoid disorder or was either paranoid schizophrenic in his behavior and the things that he did. And so basically what Herod would do was he would, do, he would find out that someone was plotting against him or was, or was disobedient to him or was, was trying to get, around, get, get his throne and he would immediately go into a rage and he would just murder everyone involved and around the situation in order to tamp it down. And then, it said, and then he would go into a period of depression. And then after that, he would begin to build. So he would build buildings and palaces and different things. He would just build, build, build. And then he would ha it would happen again. And it wasn't just Jesus that threatened his front throne. It was his own family. He killed three of his sons. One of his, he killed one of his wives. He, he killed anyone who, who threatened his power and authority. And Jesus was just one of those people that was foretold to take over. That's what, that's what his, uh, his mind, he had in his mind was that, that Herod was going to be uh, overthrown and Jesus was going to take over the throne. And so he went into a rage and killed all these people because of his fear. Can you imagine living in that, in that day, in that moment when, you're, when your family is affected by this crazy lunatic that is in authority over you? You know, I know our circumstance, it may be hard to understand what they were dealing with and what they were going through. The, I'm not talking about Jesus' family. I'm talking about the families that actually suffered his wrath to know what they were going through, but I can imagine that it was pretty hopeless. Can you just take for a second and just go into their life and just imagine what that would feel like? Because of someone else's paranoia that you lose something that is most important to you? I can't imagine how hopeless those families were in that moment. But in the midst of the suffering... God preserved hope. He preserved hope. The salvation that was to come was still there. The promised Messiah was preserved. You know, the cycle of Herod's lunacy just kind of repeated and over and over and over. And Herod the Great became known as Herod the Wicked because of his, his, his murder and paranoia and things that he um, was involved, with, involved in. But even his wickedness and even that hopeless period that those families went through that suffered the, his wrath, they were all part of God's bigger story that was going on that the whole point of it was to bring hope. They were all part of that story. And you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of a hopeless situation, it's hard to understand how that is going to become, how hope is going to be born out of that. But there's always hope as long as God is sovereign. There's always hope. You know, I shared with you a little bit about my personal story, but I want to challenge, I want to challenge you this morning to think about your story. Many times when we go into... A new year, we, we start thinking about resolutions, we start thinking about 
uh, different things we want to change about who we are or what we are. We start thinking about, uh, I want to get in shape, or I want to do this, or I want to do that, or I want to get out of debt, or whatever it is that you're, that's on your mind uh, as far as what you want in the new year. I want to challenge you today to look for hope in your life. I want to challenge you today to spend more time in the Word this year. I want to challenge you today to spend more time on God's mission this year as a part of what we're doing here with Eastwood and other, other ministries that we partner with in this area, to be engaged in the mission of God because I can tell you that that obedience will be the key that unlocks the hope in your life. I can tell you that the word of God in those moments of hopelessness, in those moments of doubt, will be your anchor that you can hold on to. I can tell you that when God's word comes, that it kindles the hope that you seek. I can tell you that because I've experienced it myself. You know, many times we don't, um, we don't engage because we're afraid. We don't act because we're hesitant that what we do will actually cause things to be worse. But in the new year, when your hope is threatened, I want you to remember three things. They're at the bottom of your page. The first thing is listen to God's word. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm supposed to get in my prayer closet and just sit there until God says something? No. It means open up your Bible and read the words that are written for you. The word of God is a love letter written to his children, and that's us. He gave us that to give us hope. He gave us that to give us freedom. And as much as you want freedom in your life, as much as you want to be rescued from the hopelessness that you feel, that rescue will come through obedience to his written word. It will not come because you focus and concentrate really hard in your prayer closet and say, God, please take away this, please take away this, please take away this. Freedom comes when we are obedient to God's word. You may be struggling with, with something as simple as internet pornography. You may be sitting in your prayer closet going, God, take this away, take this away, take this away, but it's not going to go away until you stand up and you take action and you cut off the avenues of access that you have to said thing. It will not go away because you will it to in your mind, but it will go away if you stand up and you walk in obedience to the word of God with your brothers and sisters in Christ who care for you. I can't tell you how many students come to me and talk to me about that one thing. Can't tell you the amount. I can't tell you the amount of hopelessness that I hear about on a regular basis. Students coming to me and talking to me about feeling like they want to take their own life. And these aren't kids that are, that are beaten up and that have, that have had a hard, hard luck at life or anything like that. They're kids that you wouldn't expect to hear that from. But I can tell you that hopelessness is very real and it's something that you cannot uh, act like it's not an issue because it is. And just as urgent as it was for jo Joseph to be obedient, it is also just as urgent for us as fathers, to make sure that we close the avenues that the enemy has to access our homes. It's important that we listen to the word of God and we obey it. It's important that we promote the word of God in our homes so that our kids know that when they need an anchor, when they are hopeless, that they can grab hold of this anchor. 
of the Word of God. There may be people close to you that are struggling, that need a hand, that need somebody to hold on to. You may be that person that can pray for them, can love them, can encourage them in a moment of hopelessness. Let me pray for you this morning because I want you to really consider what God would have you do today. You know, the thing that the, the takeaways today are to listen to the Word of God, to obey it, and that hope will remain until the storm has passed. And that's really what we need to focus on this morning is what do I need to do? What adjustments do I need to make in my life in order to help, help me experience the joy and the freedom that God wants me to experience in my life? What is it today? Is it fear? Is it loss? Is it pain? Is it a rebellious child? Is it self-doubt? What is it? Bring it to the Lord. Bring it to the cross. Allow God to minister to you and then stand up and walk in obedience. And I, I can promise you that God will bring you freedom. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.